Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I think Villa were holding out for 20 or 25. I think it was 25 at the time, which people thought was ridiculous. Jesus Christ. And uh, Grealish sat quietly. Spurs didn't pay up. Because Daniel Levy is a shrewd operator, isn't he? He's great with his money. How terrible is he with his money that he couldn't see that investment? That he would have a £150 million asset right now, or he would have Champions League football or a league winning team, and he would still have Pochettino in charge. Hi guys, Jack Greenish here. Uh, delighted to say that I've signed a new deal with Aston Villa. That morning sky gave me a look. So I left while you were sleeping. That's all it took. Ale, ale, ale. Aston Villa won, Arsenal nil, and John Terry is loving it. <laughs> we have laughed and we poked fun at John Terry on this podcast, Liam, but I have to say, the sight of his passion, and maybe this is just feeding into my caveman, <laughs> simple mind, I just want to see a bit of passion on the sidelines, but seeing John Terry screaming with joy when Aston Villa went 1-0 up, it warmed my heart, and I think a lot of it was probably him addressing the rumours that he might be leaving. This is the equivalent of a player saying he's staying. This was John Terry saying, he ain't going anywhere. This party isn't done. Aston Villa have a lot more to do. Yeah, the best thing about it was his, his giddy excitement as the ball was getting trickled into, yeah. into Ollie Watkins. <laughs> he can barely contain himself. And then he doesn't, and he goes mad. As well he should, because it was an absolutely incredible start. So 35 points. Remember, we were scraping that extra point out of the barrel against West Ham only a few months ago to get up to 35 points after 38 games here we are 20 games into the season 21 games into the season 35 points and it's the fifth the fifth one nil win of the campaign which I ah, I take great heart in that because that that does show a team who can grind it out and we know that they can this was another ugly win I would say I was delighted they came out with Zip and they came out with Verve and it was like oh here's your response they had a little pre-match huddle beforehand finally one of John Terry's rallying calls were listened to and they had fight you know something that we were accusing them of not having now they still didn't come from behind which is great that they didn't have to but they came flying out of the blocks and and then I thought they got comfortable because you know Arsenal weren't offering much of a threat and they were 1-0 up and they just decided Let's close up shop and see this one out. And it was similar to the Southampton game, but Arsenal just not as good as Southampton. But but I have to say, like nothing like a game against Arsenal to get back on track. That's twice now after the the wheels looked like they were coming off against Leeds and Southampton earlier in the season. Went to Arsenal three 0 bad result against Burnley, bad performance against Southampton, bad result against West Ham. Thank you, Arsenal. We'll take the three points and move on. Thanks again. Yeah, it's incredible. How can a culture of malaise and rot? seep so deeply into a club irrespective of how many players come and go how many times you change the manager it just stays it's just there it's infected the whole club it would make a really interesting academic study we've, <laughs> we, we've seen that the reverse isn't true 
with how shambolic United have been since Fergie left. A winning mentality doesn't stick with a team. But Christ <laughs> almighty, does that nonsense stick with a team? But Arsenal and their fan base and journalists are eventually going to have to countenance the fact that maybe Mikel Arteta isn't the son of God that they so <laughs> desperately want him to be. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Pep Guardiola took on the Dutch traditions that he was raised in at Barcelona and did some incredible things and continues to do them. And we should be grateful. But we don't have to pretend that Arteta, by virtue of the fact that he was graced with the presence of Pep Guardiola, he probably even got touched by him. We don't have to pretend that he's now destined for great things. Brian Kidd, Steve McLaren, Rennie Mullenstein, Carlos Queros, and Mikel Arteta. Add him to the list of people who don't automatically become good managers because they used to work with him. <laughs> he got touched by him, all right. It was, it was Pep Guardiola's punch bag. That's what he was. Like, I actually lost a bit of respect for him being at City. Obviously, he was in the presence of greatness. He probably, uh, probably learned a lot of things a lot, or, or was exposed to a lot of good things along the way. But all he was there for was to listen to Pep Guardiola whinge and go mad at his team and grab Arteta and... You know, take all his frustration out in Arteta, and I thought this isn't the, this isn't the guy that's going to go on and be a leader. <laughs> this, this is a a right hand man of a leader who just needs to shut up and, and take the punishment. No, you, you know what he is? He's a, he's a guy who's going to go on and get a lower win percentage than Unai Emery after sixty six games in charge. <laughs> that's that's what Michael Arteta is. Now, can we start having a serious conversation about whether or not he's good enough to be manager of Arsenal? And the constant cries of, oh, it takes time, you have to give him time. He's had 66 game in charge. No good manager needs that amount of time to yeah. change how a club is playing. We saw what happened with Dean Smith at Aston Villa. We've seen what's happened with Brendan Rodgers at Liverpool and at Leicester. We've seen what happened with Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool. You don't need 100 games to change a club's fortunes. Good managers have an immediate impact, especially if you're taking over from Unai Emery. <laughs> isn't it funny um I, i've seen a few people i think it was around the frank lampard time obviously he's got a lot of mates in the media and they often made the comparison of jürgen klopp and all anybody has to do is go back and look at jürgen klopp's first team that he inherited and the amount of progression that they made every single month to the point where they won their first league in three seasons or th- 30 seasons after winning the Champions League, after getting a final of the Champions League, after getting a final of Europa League, Jurgen Klopp was progressing Liverpool every time. And like that's it. Like, you know, people talk about Pochettino not winning a cup. Like people with brains don't need a shiny thing to pretend like something massive is happening. Like you can just look at the own at your own evidence and look with your own eyes and see progression. And like it's actually interesting you talk about the culture. In Arsenal and how, like, yeah, that can just persist beyond a malaise, like beyond Arsene Wenger when that had gone bad. Like, you would often hear, and you're right to say that it didn't happen with United, but you know that sort of tradition. You know, teams teams feel that even if it's 20, 30 years after great teams. Like, Villa have it a little bit. Like, they have that a bit of arrogance now. It's long gone, but like, Villa fans and the club expect better things than what they've had over the last 10 years because because they were successful. Uh, in the past, in the 80s especially. But it's a quick one for Arsenal fans because I saw a clip of Emmy Martinez pulling Lacazette going around there after the final whistle. And I just thought, my God, this this sums it all up. Like, if you're going to impinge on a keeper like that, stand on top of him and wrestle with him, especially when the ball is going way over both of your heads, expect to be thrown out of the way. Toughen up. Grow up. Like, yet again... It's a terribly soft, whiny look that we're getting coming out of Arsenal. Finding anything they grasp at. And, and yet again, they find something that nobody else cares about. Someone inconsequential. And this is the thing now that they're, they're holding on to. That is not how you get rid of what you want to get rid of. The softness and the yellow streak that's running through the club. Nah, they're, they're absolutely pathetic. And tonight was a different game to the time we battered them 3-0. But Arsenal are shit. Arsenal are, are a dreadful team. Like, how, many, how many saves did Emmy Martinez have to make tonight? One because of a deflection and one 30-yard free kick from that yeah. numpty in the middle of the pitch. Like, they're shite and it, it, just, it, it has to be accepted. We, just because they used to be challenging for the top four 
having used to be challenging for the titles. Like they're on a massive decline and they have been for a long time. They're a long way off being a good football team. They're a long way off Villa now who are four points ahead of them with two games in hand. Um, and just on the topic of Arteta and the uh, just the flakiness and the whinging coming out of Arsenal, like what what was Arteta complaining about afterwards? And uh, and just on that, like as if Ezri Kanza is worried about anyone's pace. Like obviously we <laughs> we saw that it was Saka who who found him in the end, but like the suggestion that Kanza was panicked and would have to act by fouling Saka. Kanza would just fling him out of the way as if he's a flea on the back of his arse. I think he once called Matt Target on Jack Grealish's arse. Like, yeah, like, like, slowing down stuff like that and again, complaining about stuff like that. Grow up. Like, this is an elite defender and Saka is somebody who's obviously got a lot of potential. But Kanza was going to just push him out of the way, turn on the ball and pass it out. Yeah, it was, it was undoubtedly former big six club bias from the commentators thinking that that's what it was. Konza is a better player than Saka at the minute. Yeah. Saka will be a good player. I've nothing against Saka. But Konza's rapid. Like, you've seen Aston Villa play, surely, at this stage. Everybody's talking about Villa this year. You must yeah. know how good Ezri Konza is. And if you don't, maybe he shouldn't be a fucking commentator. Because <laughs> you're not watching enough football to be yeah. able to comment on it. And well, Michael Arteta, about... sorry, I want to get back to Michael Arteta. What is Michael Arteta doing running around with his head in his hands every time a cross gets floated over the box? Was he just trying to show the cameras, look, we've got them under pressure? I had the exact same thought, yeah. It was like these nothing chances, like sometimes a quarter chance maybe at best, and it was this reaction like, oh my God, we've missed again. Yeah. I was like, no, you haven't even had a chance again, buddy. Cunt. <laughs> But I want to talk about Ollie Watkins because I also want to start with a, a break start. We're 10 minutes into the podcast. But <laughs> stroke of genius, Liam. So my fantasy team always, always have Salah as captain. Never, never don't have Salah as captain. That's just a bad rule. I got caught with it once. And I thought, I'm never doing that again. Like, you know, Salah either scores or assists or gets bonus points all the time. And he, he shoots all the time. He gets the ball. So it's, it makes sense for him to be your captain. But... Saw they were playing Man City, you know, in my head I could see Salah's still going to score, but then I saw the stats of Man City's clean sheets, the only only team who kept more clean sheets than Villa. And I thought, Ollie Watkins is in the groove. He's feeling good. They lost against West Ham, but he scored again. His tail's up. I'm going to put the little armband beside Ollie Watkins. And here we go. Goal after 70 seconds. And uh, three bonus points as well, in case you're wondering. So, stroke of genius. Double the points for Watkins. And uh, in real life, I actually want to talk about him because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like h- how often, especially over the last 20 years, you've talked about if Villa could just get a 20 goal season striker, you know, they, that, that would change everything. Imagine having a 20 goal season striker, at least is what Watkins is. He's got 12 already, 10 in the Premier League. Imagine having that and having someone who literally has everything else. Like, he's got everything. So not only have we we had this... Like, people were so relieved to have Darren Bent. And he was important for a half a season. But, like, all he does is score goals. And a team like Villa at the time, especially then when they lost Young and Downing, it was pointless having him. Like, it wasn't a luxury who Villa could afford to carry. Watkins could play in any team and offer himself. If Watkins was playing and not scoring goals, everybody would still be delighted with him. It would be like the, the Firmino case in Liverpool. But this boy is just banging them in as well. He's he's got everything, and he's playing with Aston Villa, and it's it's amazing. The more incredible thing is that he was playing with Brentford up until this year. Yeah. Like, how did he go under the radar so much? He's not that young, you know. He's twenty four. He's he's just yeah. You said it. He's got he's got everything. He's got he's got enough pace. He's got a great step over. He's got aggression and and going forward with the ball. He's always willing to take a man on. He wants to score. And the first thing we said about him whenever we saw him play was his movement's so good that he yeah. will just score goals anyway. So he's got all the attributes to score goals that he creates himself, but he's going to get a lot of tappings. I mean, his finish tonight was fucking dreadful, but it's the <laughs> fact that he pulls off the defender to get into the position. He'll get so many chances and he does miss a lot of big chances, but whenever you're getting that many for yourself, you're going to score a lot of goals anyway. So it's almost irrelevant because most players won't get into those positions with their constant movement in the box. 
second runs going again never never being annoyed that the ball doesn't come just thinking about where do i have to go next to get it yeah. if they do eventually play me the fucking pass and not selfish with his movements either like a forward of good movement even if it's selfish movement is still it's still valuable but he takes it in phases of play and genuinely haven't seen movement like it since thomas muller who's still moving the way he is and like it's not a coincidence sometimes you'd wonder like why is thomas muller scoring 20 goals a season every season because his movement is so good and like Ollie Watkins as you say he's going to get those chances all the time he's got energy he's got brains he's sharp enough and he just knows where to be in every situation and that helps the team in every situation the whole way up the pitch well we'll talk about him a bit more later because yeah we might have to have a discussion about moving him off the diamond meter or renaming him renaming the diamond meter after <laughs> because I think it's a I think it's it's certain that I love Ollie Watkins more than I loved Andreas Weinberg. <laughs> that is the faintest of faint praise. <laughs> uh, last one, top of the show. Was that Grealish's worst game yet? And like, it says a lot about him that he was still so important for the last 15 minutes. Uh, Jack Grealish created so many chances tonight that it's, it's, it's easy to forget how, how good Grealish is whenever he isn't just absolutely destroying a team on his own. Was it his worst game ever? I don't know, he was really effective. He created loads of chances for Watkins. He had that shot just by a quick drop of the shoulder and a spank on his left foot. Yeah, I, I, I it was good enough to not bother questioning whether or not it was his worst performance. I think. Yeah, I actually loved like just he had those moments. Well, obviously the time where he just started rinsing boys down the left wing. You know, when, when you need the seeds lifted, and it was Grealish doing it. But there was a stage where Martinez caught another ball and dropped on the ball in the 89th minute. And you could see Grealish on the left cracking up because Martinez was dropping down to waste time like he should have done. But we've got a little Messi who just wants the ball and wants to create chances. And it's ah, it's a beautiful thing. And we will talk about him as well later on. But WhatsApp winges are coming up next. Some WhatsApp winges. Why has John McGinn stopped moving with the ball? <laughs> it's, as if, it's as if he doesn't realise he can do that. Like he's allowed to do it anymore. It's, it's like he's playing netball. He gets the ball and he has to stop because he's in possession. And, and he has to just play it all the time. And the one time that he was forced to move with the ball today, he, he opened it up for himself and had a, had a nice shot. And that was the one time that he, he moved on it again. Like we talk about McGinn's energy and what he can bring and... It's that zip going up and down the pitch. But now he has the ball and he stands over and he, he gets that body position where he, he, he moves his whole upper body over the ball as if he's always just about to to get rid of it. And just just relax, mate. Just just take a touch. Move. Just see what happens. But he he just seems to want to get rid of it before he decides to, to move. Yeah. The, the, the only other time I can remember is when he won a really useful free kick towards the end just as he bats the ball away out of play. Because yeah. he does just skip past two people because he's really good at it. But I think in the same way that Mings and Kanza haven't found the balance of playing out from the back and spanking the ball up the field, it's obviously something that will stick in your head because you're really conscious of what happens if you don't do it right. John McGinn is obviously being told to move the ball and to keep it simple and to try play more like a traditional number six. And I don't think he's found the balance of that right now. He's... um. Yeah, he's a, he's a bit all over the place. He was he was much improved tonight, but mm. he was he was yeah he was too keen to pass the ball. On. A couple of times, like he's on the right hand side. I remember he's left footed, so the whole pitch is opened up for him. He's, he's in Arsenal's half. He's got space if he looks to the left, but he doesn't look to the left. He just rolls it back to Matt Cash. who rolls it back to McGinnis to say, <laughs> "Go on, mate! Like you're you're better than me." And if you just turn onto your left, you can do anything with it now. And um and then he ended up just like rolling to Nakamba and then it goes back to Mings and it's like oh here we go again but um like that just changes if he just has a look or moves with the ball to keep just keep yourself moving don't get caught on it um it's it's a small it's a small detail but it, yeah it, again, it is often the right thing to do to play it the way you're facing it but only if there's somebody beside you like, yeah you don't have to play the ball first time to the first Villa player you can see. And in every situation, you have to understand what's happening on the pitch. And one of the things that's happening on the pitch is that Arsenal are fucking shambles in defence. So just turn. It's grand. 
And there did seem like a clear instruction because when McGinn first came out, like especially the first 10 minutes, he, he was flying out of the blocks. And I think he's one of those ones, I think he takes criticism badly in a, in a really good way. And uh, he always wants to go out and prove people wrong. And he, he was buzzing around and you could tell that he was looking for Watkins all the time straight away. And that, like, that's how the first goal came about. Well, absolutely lovely touch again from Troy. We didn't even talk about the first goal or the only goal. Um, long ball up and Traore just just nestles the ball on his left foot drops it off for McGinn who again just tries to play it around the corner for not around the corner but around the back of the centre back for Watkins and he did that a few times to start off with um, and that was good to see and he just sort of disappeared a little bit came back into it but some of the times when I saw him back in again just I thought he'd be a bit more dangerous if he was having having more of a look yeah, and it was definitely there for him as well. But the goal, though, it's, it's, it, yeah, you're right. It starts with a brilliant pass from Emmy, and it's a great touch from Troy. But you, ha- you have to have good instincts in football, and you have to know when you're what you're playing against. And you talked about a bull checking for the weakest part of a fence before he smashes through it last week. Well, that Arsenal back four is a gate on its hinges around a one-foot white picket fence. Christ <laughs> almighty. Gabriel calls for the ball from Cedric, and Cedric, fair enough, underhits the pass. But after he calls for it, Gabriel just starts looking in field, and it's it's not a quick glance to understand what's happening around him as you'd expect him to do. He's just looking in field. Yeah. That's not where the danger is. It's big Bertie T closing you down. <laughs> You've asked for the ball, go fucking get it, pal. <laughs> yeah. And Big Birdie T got it, and lovely, lovely first touch, lovely second touch, lovely ball across, and yeah, Watkins, as you say, got a bit lucky, but good movement. Second WhatsApp whinge, Matt Cash must have been the worst winger on earth. <laughs> <laughs> again, I must qualify, you know I love Matt Cash, and I think he was class again tonight defensively, but his body position is really annoying me, you know, just, just like I'm talking about John McGinn. Cash is closed off to the right wing every time he gets the ball. And he goes straight to Konza. He faces Konza, gets the ball off Konza, and gives it straight back to Konza. And it's like, just just open yourself up. Have a look at the channel. Go down the channel every so often. Or pretend like you're going down the channel and maybe work a bit of, a bit of space for yourself. Because what happens? And we would have often criticized, well, everybody would have often criticized Mings, you know, for going long with those just terrible balls. But it always goes back to him. <laughs> you know? And it's people like Cash. And then the way McGinn was doing that sometimes and when the cam was on the pitch, when they're popping the ball off to the obvious pass every time, it ends up going back to the person in space who's always the centre-back. And then Mings just has to clear it because nobody else is doing anything. And yeah, if Cash would just open his body up a bit more, I think it would make him would give him more options. Yeah, and there's there's always space there to do it as well whenever Trory starts the match because he's, he's no interest in being on the wing. So the right wing is always clear for Matty Cash if he just if he just took the opportunity. Third WhatsApp wins. Let's see if you can tell who this is. Fucking black market Marlon Fellaini. <laughs> who the fuck is that? Does he think his role is to stand in the middle of the pitch and flick balls on to no one? Are we talking about Marvellous Nakamba? Who does he think he is? Granite Jacka? <laughs> You've had three clues. I'm intervening. Ross Barkley. Uh, no, like, no, that was a tough one because like, obviously he's not a Marlon Flaney, but it was just <laughs> the way, like, this is real time stuff. And in the first half, like for the last 30 minutes of it, Villa were playing some bad stuff on the ball. And, you know, they were often just going long and there was Barkley in the middle of the pitch just flicking it on with his head to no one or just poking around the corner to no one. It's like, what the it's not your role in the team. Like, is that what you think it is? And then, like, complaining when you get brought off. Like, an academy player is coming on for you. Villa don't want to do that. But that's what they have to do because of how badly you're playing. Right. Hey, he wasn't as bad as we've seen him in the last few weeks. But, you know, just play better and you won't get brought off. Like, we ha- how many times do we have to say that? I disagree. I think Ross Barkley was as bad tonight as he, as he always is for Aston Villa, other than the Liverpool game. Other than 10 minutes at the start of the second half, he was anonymous. And that's not saying anything interesting about him from a defensive perspective, because he always is. But he was a relevant attack for the majority of that game as well. But he's so bad off the ball. 
So regardless of the things that he did during those 10 minutes at the start of the second half in an offensive matter, he was so bad defensively that he had to come off. The few nice touches he had weren't worth it. He appears to be unbelievably lazy in defensive situations. There was one around the 55th minute when Ollie Watkins sprinted past him from a starting position of about 15 yards further up the pitch. That's that's bad enough. But the fact that he didn't even cover for Watkins then, he was still floating around behind the centre half, just giving Arsenal an easy outball had they used it properly. Ross Barkley is not good enough to be forgiven for abdicating his defensive responsibilities. He's not good enough to not fucking run into position. He's not Jack Grealish. And Jack Grealish tries a lot harder than Ross Barkley does as well. Who the fuck does he think he is, is a good question. And I, I was disappointed, like, you know, with his... Uh, there was a part of me who thought, like, I think you had floated this idea a game or two ago where maybe he's disappointed at himself, you know, and he obviously had a bit of frustration coming off. But, like, you're off at this stage. Like, you stop kicking a water ball. That, that, that's kicking out. Like, basically, that's making a scene and... You know, Smith can hear it and see it, and it's just not what I want to see you, especially when you're 1-0 up. And again, Smith in an ideal world doesn't want to be having to bring on, and no disrespect to Jacob Ramsey, but he'd rather keep his Chelsea player, his England player on the pitch, at the heart of midfield, at the heart of the attack. But he's, 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 not, he's not been good enough, so yet again he has to come off. Like, I, I'm sure Smith would love to not take Barkley off, especially to avoid stuff like that. And I'm sure he would love... Barkley to be the player that Barkley obviously thinks he is but he's not and it's up to him to get there like I, I do like I, I did, did think he was better in that oh, no it's a low bar but like the West Ham game we talked about him getting the ball caught under his feet and trying to nutmeg people and doing his step overs and ultimately going nowhere and he lost the ball way more in that match this time he had his feet were nicer his runs were stronger he, he did bring some of that stuff that that can be good like to freeze up Grealish a bit more but um ultimately he wasn't like he ultimately faded again he didn't do the work again and yeah it was right to bring him off like i, I thought i thought it was harsh to bring Trorori off before barkley you well i'll come back to that in a second but you, you can't you can't not perform against granite jacka you know if, if that's if that's the player that's putting you off your game then you're fucking begging to be brought off if you can't do it against arsenal if you're playing in a free role against arsenal and you're not performing you can kick all the bottles you want, pal, but you've asked for that. Bertrand Troy, I thought it was brilliant to bring him off at the time we did because Arsenal were just about to to take off Cedric and then they switched Saka over to the left wing. And just before that, even as well, Pepe was getting more and more into the game. And as much as Matty Cash is the hardiest little bastard in world football, he needed he needed a bit of help at that stage, yeah. and Troy was trying his heart out, but he like he's not good enough defensively. Um, you see, even even when he was tracking back, it was just like, yeah, you're in position now, but but Cedric's not there anymore. You know, he's gone again. You have to react to that as well. You can't just drop into the the right winger's defensive position. And whenever Trezeguet came on, he was absolutely animalistic in defence. He was brilliant. Yeah. He was all straight over. away. Oh, amazing! It was incredible and. He was getting up the pitch as well. Now, I know he was. He had obviously had a lot more energy than everybody else who was left on the pitch because he had just come on. But you know, he was sprinting into the back post and then he was sprinting back to his own back post repeatedly. It was brilliant when he came on, and I think it made sense to take off Drury. But Barkley did very well to stay on the pitch for as long as he did. Last one. I'm not watching Villa play like this for the rest of the season. No, and you won't have to either. Um, what is the point? Like, if you if you go one 0 up against Arsenal, is there any real point in risking it? Villa Villa has still had all the best chances in that game. Yeah, like Arsenal didn't create any chances. They had that one shot that hit off the inside of Kanza's leg, and Martinez had to adjust his feet. But either way, without the deflection and with the deflection, the shot was straight at Martinez. Yeah, and they had the free kick. Arsenal, the Arsenal were and are shite. So you've gone 1-0 up, just see the game out and just counter-attack them because they'll give you the opportunities. And actually, yeah, the, the best chance I thought that Arsenal had or the best opening was when Saka went in and the ball was bouncing up for him and it connected and Target had a great block. But that came from Villa, yeah, opening themselves up a bit when they probably didn't have to. 
and like you said, it did create the best chances. Look, it was a great, it was a great win, but I was, oh, I was feeling tense throughout that match, so I was thinking I can't. But yeah, I, I can't deal with this for for another eighteen games. The only the only tension I was feeling was because of how fucking annoying it would have been to lose against that shambles of a team. Yeah, that would have been worse than the West Ham game, alright. And coming up, we got some categories. I, I burst onto the scene, didn't I? And I was going to be the next best thing. Oh, who, who was it that said? There was an interview somebody recently and they said that he's always positive. It was Mika Richards. Hold on, I played for England at 18. Youngest ever defender to play for England. It was Mika Richards. He was talking on Sky Sports and he said he's always positive. Sometimes you wish he wasn't as positive. Like he almost he said he was too nice. Right. What do you think, lad? I think Mika Richards should shut the fuck up. <laughs> what the fuck has Mika Richards ever done for Aston Villa? <laughs> Dean, Dean Smith got Aston Villa promoted from 14th in the championship. Mika Richards was just there collecting 40 grand a week while that was all happening. <laughs> oh, he's just brilliant. He's just top. What a guy to work with you, are, honestly. The Ronnie Rosenthal Award. Bertie T. Bad, bad, bad miss. Did everything right. Barkley could have had a nice assist. We would have been feeling a lot better about him. And Bertrand Rory. Yet again, has me asking, does he care about the end goal of football, which is to score a goal? Like, he's just happy he rinsed two lads and then just tries a little dink, doesn't seem to care that it was terrible. It's like, no, just put it in the net. Just drill it in, bottom corner, either side. And he's just... Uh, at the time, like, the WhatsApp ones a few weeks ago where I called him a careless asshole. You know, just that attitude that he has, and it's it's one of the great things about him, but... Come on, the end product has to be the net bulging. Put it in. I'm just too much in thrall with Bertrand Trory's desire to skin lads and his ability to do it as well. Just the aggression with which he receives the ball to try anything he fucking wants. (laughs) Only two players on the pitch create that chance for themselves. And I obviously think he should score. I obviously think he should look to see where Ryan is. But I also think he's justified in thinking that a Premier League goalkeeper will be just charging at him at full height, covering so little of the goal that it's laughable. Like, Matt Ryan is just standing up. But yeah, it's not not great that he hits it in the only place that Ryan can now save it. And he should also look where Ryan is and just roll it past him and make him look like the tit that he is. But he did so well to create it. Ah, look, he should score it, you're right. And that's it, like, yeah, all the more reason for him, like, because Matt Ryan's standing up, just, just drill it in. Like, it looked, looked so bad, and it looked like somebody who was just thinking, this is going to look brilliant. I've done really well here. I've cut through. I'm just going to dink the keeper straight away. Yeah. And, you know, too worried about the optics rather than the result. Yeah, but we've all done that as well, even at five aside. You know, whenever, whenever you're three on goal and you decide you're going to dink the goalkeeper, and then it just hits <laughs> off some lad who's standing in nets, just hits his stomach. Because he's no fucking interest in trying to stop you. He's giving you the net to roll it into. And you're trying to be too clever. Maybe Bertrand Trory should stop playing like a five-a-side player. <laughs> yeah. Maybe just play more like me. Because I've never once thought about dinking a goalkeeper in five-a-side. Oh, I've been caught out with that a few times. Ross Barkley's miss from the Grealish and McGinn work corner. Lovely work corner. Like, wasn't a, a Rosenthal-esque miss. But such a nice worked opening that he, oh, he could have connected with a better he connected with it so bad that it just trickled towards the keeper tough like if he did connect with it well and it went in it would have been an amazing finish but disappointing finish overall i think the connection's so bad that it belongs in this category i mean you threw dougie louise's speculative 25 yard strike that shanked off the outside of his foot last <laughs> weekend and it's absolutely brilliant and have we found a solution to our corner kick rotational policy <laughs> And it's an endless repertoire of set-piece routines that we now have to work yeah. on during the week and nothing else because it was absolutely gorgeous and it just tore them apart. 
nobody on the pitch knew what was happening except for the three lads and it works so well and it's so disappointing that he missed Traore didn't even know what was happening he was coming short and Grealish had to tell him to piss off <laughs> um, and then McGinn obviously knew and like yeah, that, that that makes a lot of sense anyway like you know despite it being Villa and being bad at corners without Harahan who scored again by the way I didn't put him into WhatsApp winges I hope you're I hope you're thankful for that, but I could just have easily have said three goals in three games for Conor Hurrahan. Um, but like, surely the best percentages there for Villa are just to give Jack Grealish the ball in space, and that's exactly what they did. <laughs> well, based on what's happened this season from their corners, yeah, it it almost certainly is. Uh, another Ross Barkley nomination. I've got four nominations. This is the third. Barkley's missed from the counter attack. Um, you know when Grealish just put him through, it was. Sort of three on two, three on three, maybe. Uh, Barkley's on his left foot. Again, would be a nice finish. His angle's tight, but it's, he let the ball roll too far, and then he he just blazed it high and wide off the off his left. And this is here again more for the disappointment of it. Like you know, it not even looking like a chance in the end. Yeah, like you're right. He lets the ball run across his body far too long. He has to be a lot more decisive there. Go after it. Give himself a better angle. And the strike's terrible. Yeah, he just absolutely lashes at it. And it was dreadful. He also gave one to Watkins just before. Uh, like, he was running through. And he rolled it across to Watkins, who had a shot from outside the box. And I was thinking, well, just you have the shot. Like, you're both outside the box. You've got Bellerin behind you. So I know you maybe feel like you're under a bit of pressure, but he's not going anywhere. He's right behind your body. All he can do is foul you. And he's just rolled it to Watkins, who's had a shot. And I actually would have rather Barkley take that shot. You know, if I was going to choose between the two of them, and I would have preferred Barkley's position as well, who was also running with the ball, so he could have teed it up for himself. Yeah, I, I didn't particularly mind it. It's like, give the ball to your centre forward. He wants it. He's going to have a shot. It's grand. Yeah. Last one, Jacob Ramsey. Uh, you know I love when somebody makes decisions in real time, and he had lovely footwork. He didn't panic. He didn't decide what he was doing beforehand. He took it round, and he sold somebody for a shortcut. Then just bad execution, and he probably actually could have kept going or just had a look to see what else was on. Backed himself for the shot, which I don't mind. It would have been a lovely goal considering he just he just destroyed some poor Arsenal player. But um, ah, yeah, just a, a, a timid shot in the end. It was really timid. It was it was the right shot, and yeah, really badly executed. Just floats it into into Ryan's hands. I mean, Ryan still has to dive, but you know he could have walked over and picked it up just as easily. There was so little in the shot. And Jack Grealish jumps in the air and I couldn't see if he was annoyed he didn't get the ball or he was just annoyed with, what the fuck was that, Jacob? Come on, hit the fucking yeah. thing. I've got Birdie T, though. Has to be has to be Traore for this. Yeah, go on. He was through on goal. The Peter Enkelman What the Fuck Award. No foul on William for Grealish at the end. Just jumping into his neck. And obviously the ref is excited because it's the 92nd, 93rd minute. So we'll, we'll keep it going. Yeah, Chris Kavanagh is a man that every time the camera goes on to his face, you can just see that he he has no interest in making the decisions. And it's it's crazy that that man has become a referee, which is a job that revolves around quick timing and uh, making decisions off the cuff. He has absolutely no interest in it. Uh, he didn't give that free kick, and it was just so, so obvious that it was a foil from William. Dracula just manufactures the foil, but Willian takes it. He jumps into his neck. It's fucking stupid. It's incredible he didn't give it. What did Bellerin have to do in the first half to get a yellow card? He saved Jack Grealish yeah. down four times and a fifth time as well, where he just pushed him over. And again, Kavanaugh doesn't give it. Not for him to be making a decision. It says a lot about the standard of referee in this season, though, that I was thinking, he's having a decent game compared to the rest of them. And like... It wasn't for his decision-making, it was for his consistency. You know, he sort of, he knew what he was and wasn't going to give, and I, I thought the William one, he would have given that for the rest of the game, but it's one of those ones where we were talking about the first 10 minutes don't count for referees. The last five minutes of injury time don't count either, uh, if you're behind. If you're behind so, and you're a big club, yeah. Yeah, so I, th- I thought he, uh, again, uh, it was sort of like the Stuart Atwell thing, when the Stuart Atwell's a good referee, but like he set the terms and it was like, okay, like, you know, we all, we all know the crack here. He's not, he's not doing anybody over. He's not, yeah. I wasn't raising an eyebrow too much. There was a couple of times where he thought it was a foul, but it's like, but he hasn't been given them for either team. So that's okay. Um, but yeah, that speaks more of what's happening the rest of the season. 
he fancies himself as a let it let it go referee, but he's not. He's just afraid to make decisions. <laughs> uh, Jack Grealish is foul on Saka. Now, I started to wonder then because he did it not that long afterwards, and a couple of people like Nakamba sized him down, and somebody else did. Matt Target maybe, and I thought, oh, is this like an instruction? Like just just get stuck into that wee kick, <laughs> kick. <laughs> Like, you know, don't just don't let him get running. Like, just nail him. And, you know, Grealish one is maybe just a Grealish tackle, but he looked pissed off at him. <laughs> he just put his leg across and pushed him over. I thought Grealish could have got a yellow card long before he got one for for descent. Yeah, uh, Grealish put in exactly the same tackle twice, where he's just reaching around, going for the ball. It's hard to tell because we know that Grealish can't tackle, and people who are brilliant at football don't realise that they're not brilliant at every aspect of football and they always think that they can get to the ball and sometimes you just can't and you just have to not go for it. Yeah. There was one where I think it was tri- no, it was Ollie Watkins where their centre half was coming running through the, the middle of the pitch and Ollie Watkins is about to tackle and he realises why, why would I tackle? We'll just let him have it because if I tackle here I'm going to foil him. <laughs> it makes a lot more sense to complete the tackle whenever it's Saka because if he does get running then it could be dangerous. Is it a case that they were told to do it, or is it a case that Saka just moves the ball really quickly? It's hard to tell. Yeah. Could be that. And like the thing, this was a foul in a dangerous area, which was annoying because like Target was right there, Nakamba was there as well, but Nakamba was there because he got rinsed by Saka. Just like, just planted a leg, and Saka just walked around it, and you know it's like, oh, there's our defensive midfielder just completely missing a ball. But we'll we'll talk about Nakamba in a, in a minute. John McGinn diving at left back in the seventy oh. fifth minute. Oh, like Rob Holden, like just take the ball around him, like you know, just just pass that down the left flank and you're you're away. And uh, he's just tried to win a free, and the ref wasn't having it. Like he wasn't having anything really. You're away, and their left centre half is caught out in the right wing position. <laughs> and yeah, it was it was so fucking stupid from from John McGinn. It was it was terrible. It was a terrible decision. It wasn't even wasn't even a convincing dive. Like he's looking for the touch and it doesn't come, and he just falls over anyway. And he doesn't even react quickly enough either. Like you've just lost the ball on the right yeah. wing. Get up, John. I know you've got a big arse, but, you know, move it. <laughs> I've got the winner, though. Uh, free given for Pepe for kicking the ball off his own face. <laughs> so congratulations, Chris Kavanagh. That was in the, in the first half, just around midfield. He tried to hook the ball over his head and kick yeah. it straight off his own face and knock himself out. And uh, he got a free for it. Matty Cash standing behind him, his arms are like, oh, <laughs> It's a brilliant moment and a brilliant game. <laughs> do you like them? We didn't take a 90th minute penalty award. Let's do it. Let's have the marvellous Nakamba conversation. Um, this this annoyed me like before the game as well because we saw what happened when everybody just wants something new. You know, when the team aren't going as well or when they're when they're not winning, we want <laughs> people wanted El Ghazi last week. I actually questioned should El Ghazi be given more time, and it did not go well. And you bring Traore back in and look at the difference. But even like even at that, I saw people today then saying they want the Trezeguet instead of Traore. You know, before before kickoff, but um, Traore obviously made a pay when he when he did play. Nakamba coming in in the first place is strange. Like he, I know he did all right against Newcastle, but that was Newcastle. Like. He didn't have to do anything in that match. He literally didn't have to do anything. Newcastle were playing four centre midfielders just sitting in front of their defence. Nakamba was having a whale of a time just sort of sprinting side to side and cleaning up ball and he had loads of space to pop it off to people. But Like, bringing him in for Douglas Louise, okay, on one hand it could be a masterstroke because it just devalues Douglas Louise and Pep Guardiola's eyes. <laughs> so that is good. It means it could be a good long-term investment. But... You know, not coming in for McGinn when you are bringing him in anyway was strange. Or Barkley, in fairness. Um, and then he just he didn't he didn't perform that well. Like we've won, and he, he nicks a couple of balls away, like he did, like he will do all the time. And some people I think were were happier with his performance, but I thought he was a bit of a liability, especially especially around the middle of the match when the game was in the melting pot. He, it was like Villa were carrying him and he, he didn't know what he was going to do with the ball. He was always looking for the nearest person. But when Arsenal started getting a bit frantic and, and started closing Villa down a bit better, like it, it was like at any moment he was going to give the ball away. He was caught out of position a few times. 
he, he had the ball taken past him a few times, which I, I don't expect. I think if we're playing the camera, you, you just won't have the ball taken past him, and that's his that's his bar at the very least. But but he did. Like, so defensively, I didn't think he was that good. Like I thought he was grand, but it definitely didn't do anything that, that Douglas Ruiz couldn't have done, and I thought Douglas Ruiz could have given us a lot more by being there. Yeah, a, a few heavy caveats. that We're not watching the game with a, a view of the full pitch, so you know, and that's yeah. important to understand what a defensive midfielder is doing. And we're not watching the training sessions. But I have no idea what it is we're supposed to think that Nakamba does that we couldn't ask Dougie to do. And in the other direction, there's plenty that Dougie does that you'd want to have your fucking head examined if you were to ask Nakamba to do it. <laughs> the idea is that Nakamba gives you more balance. You could see what we were trying to do tonight. It was... Nakamba playing the defensive position, John McGinn in a six and a half, and Barkley in an eight and a half. But Dougie can play in that defensive position. There's just no question about that. Nakamba's not even good at it. He gets the ball taken around him too easily. You're right, he just doesn't seem to have good positional sense. There was one where the ball got put, pulled back to him, and the commentator says Nakamba in the right place. He wasn't in the right place, though. There was just players off his shoulder in the middle of the box. It was just a terrible pullback that went to Nakamba. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's hindsight stuff. Yeah, it ended up going to his feet. So yes, he's in the right place. But he shouldn't be expecting the defender to play the wrong pass. He should be covering the space where the fucking Arsenal players are. And his ability on the ball is just diabolical. He doesn't want it. Yeah. Every time he gets the ball, he wants to get rid of it. And often that's just kicking the ball away. It's like you might as well hold on to it and lose it trying to do something than yeah. just losing it. He kicked it away a lot, and he also gave away a lot of needless frees as well, like in dangerous positions. Um, and he just he, did, he doesn't even have like urgency. Like he definitely got bite and he's sharp across the ground, right? But there was a moment where Villa had lost the ball, a counter attack for Arsenal, and John McGinn, who was heavily involved in the attack and had did done well that attack it was early enough on McGinn had sprinted back like he was the one who got back into position whilst Nakamba is sort of jogging back and it's like he was jogging back through the number 10 position it's like what were you doing there in the first place because you obviously weren't looking for the ball and like even if you got the ball again we don't want you getting the ball there and yeah why is John McGinn doing all your work like I thought that's why you were here I thought when I saw Nakamba playing obviously he wanted McGinn to be more advanced and he probably wanted Barkley to play in a midfield three rather than a number 10. It didn't pan out that way, as you said, eight and a half. But um, yeah, Nakamba like, wasn't even that sort of man, like, don't worry, lads, I'll do all this selfless, selfless work. I'll be here. You can do whatever you want because I will be here. He wasn't there. And when he realized he should have been there, he wasn't getting back fast enough. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, We won 1 0, so, you know, Smith will be happy enough. Villa fans will be happy enough. But Douglas Louise is a massive improvement and like you know all that will take now is a game against Brighton where Nakamba is being asked to play a ball a little bit more and we'll all be crying out for Douglas Louise you know like the change has to be made back like it's not uh, like you say like there's nothing that Nakamba does that Louise can't do and then Louise just gives you so much more that Nakamba can't even give you in his wildest dreams yeah and just even think about how many times in the last 15 minutes were Odegaard and Smith Rowe, both of them, both of them in behind Nakamba yeah. and in front of our back four. If you're not in front or behind those lads, what the fuck are you doing? That is literally your only job. Yeah. Like, you excuse McGinn for this and Louise as well, because you, you know that they're always doing something else, do you know? <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's always frustrating when that happens, especially because they're your anchors, but you know you know what else they're doing. Like, this is somebody who is not clocking in for work, like when Nakamba's not there, because he's, like that's his only job. Um, the only other nomination I have for this is <laughs> Grealish having to tell people to move while he's standing on the ball in the box. Like <laughs> I can hear him screaming with desperation, "Move, move!" And then I heard "fucking hell," yeah. <laughs> and he has to come back out. And it's like this isn't obviously Dean Smith's fault. I know this is a sort of manager category, but it's just a bit mad that like you know the best player in England, very comfortable saying that has the ball. In the box, he's got a defender shitting himself in front of him, and nobody is deciding to do anything or help out or move or look sharp or get into position. It's strange. Yeah, there's a lot of times, and Barkley is the biggest proponent of it, where they just make one run, and that's it. Yeah. They've made the run now. Jack Grealish didn't play it to them. 
So I'll just stand here now. Like, get back out, try something else. Look at Ollie Watkins. He just happens to be at the back post. He's running around in circles, so he's looking for the ball. Like Jack Grealish has to be able to give you the ball. Running into space is irrelevant if it's a space that Jack Grealish can't find. Yeah. Like, and if you if Jack Grealish doesn't give you the ball, it's because he, it's because it can't be played. And just think, he's already amazing. But like, just think how much better Jack Grealish will be on top of how good he is with all these people just buzzing around. Like, just give him options. Like, move, 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 and he'll find something, or he'll take somebody on. He'll draw somebody out of the way. Just when Grealish has the ball, everybody wake up and look lively. When yeah. Nakamba has the ball, everybody wake up because God knows what will happen. But, you know, like, that, that's the time. Like, that's, especially when he's in the box. Like, this is when something can happen. Let's go. Yeah. And Nakamba wins this, I think, or the decision to play in Nakamba. Without a doubt, yeah. The Vyman meter, or the Watkins meter. <laughs> well, Ollie Watkins, let's talk about him. Is he is he off the meter now at this stage? He's, he's gone up. I don't think he's gone down at any stage. We kept him, even last, or in the last game against West Ham, where he two bad touches and put them under pressure, conceded two goals. He didn't even go down because I was sort of talking about him going up because of everything else he brought to you. Like that was a, a classic Vyman performance, even though he scored. Um, but yeah, like he's just gone up so much that he must be off the meter at this stage. Yeah, he's playing off the fucking charts. He's absolutely brilliant. There's very, very little else you can say about Ollie Watkins that we haven't said already. And we've said it from the start of the season as well. It's just, it's it's such a good position to be in, to have a centre forward like Ollie Watkins, especially whenever he also scores a lot of goals. Yeah. And like, on top of everything he gives you in an attacking sense, we talked about him playing left back that time against Southampton. Did you see his tracking of Saka in the second half when Bellroom was away? Um, and it was Watkins that just came steaming down the pitch and caught up with Zaka the whole way into the box. And thankfully, Bellerin just passed it straight to Matt Target, so it was grand. But our centre forward, who'd scored and done everything else, went the whole way with Arsenal's sharpest player and then ended up. That was when he had the ball in around his own half and he was running around in circles, just waiting for somebody to, to move. And he, he just kept possession for about 15 seconds and eventually found McGinn. He, yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing he can't do and nothing he won't do. Going up, the much maligned Tyrone Mings. What a what a performance! Like that's that's the Mings that we know we can be. Um, he was in the right place all the time. It was just a a comfortable, calm performance from him. Like the the block on Lacazette's pass when it was three on two and Lacazette was trying to find Saka in the first half. Just these big Tyrone Mings tentacles went out and got in the way, and he did the same when Pepe. Was through in the end again, just a lovely block. Like he was seeing things, like Ezra Konza usually sees things, just seeing it in slow motion. A great performance from a man who uh, has taken a lot of pelters. Yeah, I'd put Ezra Konza just straight in with these because the two of them are absolutely brilliant together. Konza is next on yeah. the list. <laughs> I mean, Konza, Konza is just an, an absolutely elite level footballer and it's, he's, he's come on so much so quickly. And he's cut from the same cloth as Rio Ferdinand and Nesta. He's so calm. I mean, you're that good and that fast. Why wouldn't you be Cam? It's funny, during the first half, I was thinking that Ezri Konza is now the player that Tyrone Mings thinks that he is. <laughs> but, but then we saw in the second half just how good Tyrone Mings is. He reminded us of the reason we were all desperate to sign him. Yeah. Summer after we got promoted. And I was, Tyrone Mings was so good in the championship that I thought there's no way Villa will be able to get him. Like, there's so many clubs in the upper echelons of the Premier League that need a centre-half, and I just didn't think that they would be stupid enough to let Villa sign Tyrone Mings. Yeah. And tonight he reminded us of why why I was thinking like that. He was immense in the second half. Good word. Like I remember telling uh, a Liverpool fan that they should sign Tyrone Mings, you know, because he, he was playing at that level. He reminded me of Van Dijk, and I know he's playing in the Championship, but I don't know how many people could just dominate the way he did there, and... Yeah, he was so good at the start of last season as well. That's why he went into the England team. And yeah, like he was immense and he was strong and he was up for it and he was in the right position. And like speaking of the right position, like Ezri Konza is just a magnet. Like I actually was going to, going to start calling him Ezri Magnet Konza because like again, he knows where the ball is going to be, but he always gets there first as well. Like if that's on the ground or in the air, he's a, 
he's a, he's just a proper defender. It's it's a joy to watch. It, it actually makes watching a defender fun. Like you know, it's just a great part of football when Ezra Conza's there. The last person I have going up is Emmy Martinez, and that's because you put him straight down to the middle of the Vimin meter um, against after the West Ham sh- debacle. Do you know? Did you see the Matinho goal against Arsenal during the week? Absolute no. screamer, like just a pile driver into the top corner, and I. I was thinking, now this was before the West Ham game, Emmy Martinez catches that. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the best goals I've ever seen, but like Martinez just, would just walk across and catch it and there'd be nothing said about it. And How regularly, not really tonight or today because he didn't have to, but how regularly he makes big, big saves look so simple and routine is phenomenal. And like that free kick, like that, that is a great save. I know it's a long way out, but it looked easy. Like, it was dramatic because of how high and how far he had to get up. But for the position that he started his jump with, incredible. Like, why Why don't more keepers just move across the ground like he does? He just <laughs> sprinted across and then jumped up and batted it away. Simple as that. Yeah. The, Emmy Martinez's performance tonight was the was this first 19 performances he had this season. And he was, it was the reason he went off the volume meter. It was everything we love about him. Handling from crosses. Decisiveness coming off his line. His handling from shots even as well and the save from the free kick is just yeah, just the cherry on top of the big delicious Emmy Martinez kick. <laughs> Going down the Villa midfield unit. Um just just an all game where they were sort of overrun and uh, not not even overrun, sorry, just just not taking control when they had it a bit more. And they could have done that more easily against Arsenal. Just, you know, just put themselves under a bit too much pressure and it. Like I said, uh, the Southampton game, it looked more perilous because Southampton looked more dangerous. But, yeah, you just want them getting on top a bit more, at least for some part of the game, but they didn't really do that. Yeah, it was an interesting decision from Dean Smith to only play one midfielder. Because, <laughs> yeah, John McGinn had to do it himself tonight because the two <laughs> lads were absolutely dreadful on the ball. Um, the midfield unit, yeah, it goes down because Arsenal aren't good and they had a lot of the ball. Uh Going up though, Conan, you forgot about Matty Cash. Yes, I did. The whole the whole back five could have gone up. I did forget about Matty Cash. I think I was so annoyed at him early on about his positioning, and then I, to be honest, I had actually forgotten about it then by the second half because he was he was brilliant. And yet again, why is he always just left on his own? Like, <laughs> why do teams always go down the left hand side? It's always just Matty Cash fending for himself out there. It's like we've asked him. You know, in the middle of a war, asked him to go and just invade some castle on his own, <laughs> and he's just there doing the most important job whilst the whilst the rest of the war is happening. Yeah, yeah, uh, he absolutely loves it as well. The reason he's always left on his own is because he can be trusted to do the work on his own. Yeah, yeah. Matty Cash is going up. Questions we can't answer, but probably will. Is that the first time Grealish has ever cleared a ball? <laughs> <laughs> And I say that loosely, it was like a chipped pass up to Watkins and then Grealish ended up catching it again on yeah. his feet anyway. <laughs> but when I saw his left foot going towards it, I thought, oh, here we go. Here we go. Jack wants rid. Yeah. He had a look inside to Tyrone Mings and then refused it. And I said, well, of course he's not going to play it to Tyrone Mings. He knows what he's going to do with it. But then Jack Grealish did it himself. I couldn't believe it. Uh, and he did, he did absolutely brilliantly to intercept the interception and created another chance. It's funny... Jack Grealish, I didn't, I didn't pick you up on this. You said, was that his worst ever game? No, I, I didn't. I you asked the question, was that his worst ever game? No, no, but I actually meant to um, just clarify, because I think you said, was it his worst ever game? I meant to say, was it his worst game of the season? Not his worst ever match. Sorry, well, okay. You asked, was it his worst ever? <laughs> was it his worst game of the season? And then during WhatsApp whinges, or the Ronnie Rossenthal award specifically, you just rattled through three huge chances that Jack Grealish created himself. <laughs> yeah, so was it his worst game of the season? <laughs> Are Spurs the biggest transfer idiots in football? <laughs> Speaking of Jack Grealish, I was thinking about the uh, Daniel Levy trying to buy him and, and Grealish obviously wanted to go to Spurs at that time, remember, before the, the year he got promoted. Hmm. he um, Steve Bruce was still in charge. Villa had missed out in the playoffs. Grealish was obviously moving up onto new levels yet again and Spurs tried to buy him and Grealish said nothing all summer didn't hand in a transfer request Spurs 17 million I think got rejected then there's 3 million plus Josh Anoma got rejected (laughs) 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 and uh, 
I think Villa were holding out for 20 or 25. I think it was 25 at the time, which people thought was Jesus ridiculous. Jesus Christ. And uh, Grealish sat quietly. Spurs didn't pay up. Because Daniel Levy is a shrewd operator, isn't he? He's great with his money. How terrible is he with his money that he couldn't see that investment? That he would have a £150 million asset right now? Or he would have Champions League football? Or a league winning team? And he would still have Pochettino in charge? But no... They tried to try to get him for three million plus Josh and Oma. But sorry, on top of that, uh, they left Ollie Watkins behind as well. They they inquired about Ollie Watkins. Mourinho was talking to Brentford, and uh, and now I'm listening to Mourinho talk about Spurs as if they can't create any chances because Kane's not playing. You know that whole attitude that he brings now. You sure what what can I do? It's like mid Spurs beat Man City. They hammered Ajax. They scored three goals against Man City. They scored three goals against Ajax in Champions League knockout matches. Without Hurricane, they got to the Champions League final without him. Spurs are an amazing squad. They've got Gareth Bale sitting there like that. That's the sort of like, you know, whatever about Gareth Bale, but that's the that's the standing there, and that they can bring somebody like that and pay his wages. And there he is, just complaining about not having Kane, and they could have had Ollie Watkins in the summer. Well, Watkins probably would have went to Villa anyway, because why wouldn't he? Yeah, like don't worry about Jose Mourinho. I'll come back to that cunt once we play Spurs twice this season. <laughs> On the Jack Grealish transfer, I know that if Jack Grealish leaves Aston Villa, I'm going to be really annoyed with him. Because Jack Grealish is going to pick a club like Spurs or Leicester. He's going to fuck up. He's going to go to a club that Jack Grealish doesn't need to go to. Jack Grealish needs to go to Real Madrid or Barcelona if he's leaving Aston Villa. That is where everybody who plays for Liverpool or plays for Man United or plays for Man City actually wants to play. And if Jack Grealish wastes his time at this age going to the intermediate step of the biggest club in England, then he's a fool. Just go to Real Madrid. It's grand. Like, don't bother wasting your time going to fucking Chelsea or whoever it happens to be. And obviously, I'll be really pissed off as well because he's going to another English club and I just want to see him out of the country if he is going to leave, which is what keeps me up most nights. <laughs> But just go, just take the next step. Just skip out that fucking step of playing for Roman Abramovich. Yeah, I, I can't see the Leicester thing happening. I, I don't think. Sorry, I was rambling there. I said Leicester. No, but no, what you mean? Like, you know, Leicester and Spurs are sort of, you know, they are alike. Probably not for Jack Grealish, but yeah, like, I, I would be disappointed if he went to Spurs. Like, I can't, I can't even see that happening either. Like, I, I think. I think if Spurs, I, I think if there's a situation where Grealish is leaving, then like City are coming in and United are coming in, and like that's that's who he'd go to, maybe Chelsea. But you're right, like he should just move on past that. Although don't go to Barcelona because they're not paying anybody's wages at the minute. So <laughs> maybe leave that a couple of years before going there. Uh, does Klopp really believe that City have benefited from a COVID outbreak in the squad? <laughs> Oh, Jurgen Klopp, Jurgen, Jurgen Klopp. The most annoying thing about Jurgen Klopp is how desperate everybody was to talk about how great he was whenever he first joined. This guy takes no shit. Look at the big smile on his face. You really find out about a man once he starts losing. <laughs> and whenever somebody, or sorry, whenever he starts winning, whenever he starts winning, you really find out about a man because they become so defensive that it's unbelievable. Because whenever you're not the champions, everybody's rooting for you. Everybody wants you to do well. Everybody wants a new story. They want a new team to follow. They want a new team to love. And Jurgen Klopp plays incredible football. The way he gets his teams to play is magnificent. But whenever you become the winner, your whole outlook changes. It's all about not losing anymore. Yeah. And that's the state that Jurgen Klopp finds himself in now. And he is just throwing punches in the dark. The guy's a fucking mess. He needs to relax. His squad is still brilliant. You'll be okay. You'll beat most teams. You don't have to start all these pointless fights. You don't have yeah. to talk as if playing on a Saturday and a Wednesday is difficult. Will they have just done it now for six weeks? They only played 12 players in those games. <laughs> like, it's fucking fine. They're professional footballers. I know that's the classic trope that people throw out. And I know physios will have a nightmare about me saying that. But they can play Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday. It's okay. Fucking relax. You're the champions of England. You're one of the best teams in Europe. You don't have to start fights with people. Yeah. And he actually has just a lot of very easy excuses as well, considering the amount of long-term injuries they have. So, you know, even if they don't continue winning, 
he can just point to that anyway. But it, it's actually, it's an interesting thing that you're saying there. You, you know that whole saying, I love it actually, adversity introdu- introduces a man to himself. You're saying that winning introduces a man to himself. And that's it. Like, you know, show me a bad loser, I'll show you a worse winner as well. Like flip that on his head. It's a, it's a good way of looking at it. And yeah, like it's suddenly all the target dots are on you when you're winning and you know everybody wants to take you down. And obviously that doesn't sit well with him because he can tell that, yeah, that is the most sought after manager and the most sought after team. In but it, it's not even it's not even that everybody wants to take you down. People were still rooting for Liverpool because they're such a fucking brilliant team to watch. Yeah, and they're littered with absolutely world class players. The front three is ridiculous in the way they play together. The interchanging with their midfielders who just stream forward, two fucking fullbacks. Yeah, everybody loves Liverpool. You don't have to start turning yourself into an arsehole to make everybody turn against you. It's okay. We still love you, Jurgen. We know you've got injuries. It's fine. <laughs> Just take this one on the chin. And remember as well, in the history of English football, no club, apart from Alex Ferguson clubs, managed to be brilliant for three years in a row. Yeah, Alex Ferguson is the only manager who's ever managed to do that. He did it twice. He did it twice. It's okay. Jurgi, we still love you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just take a mediocre season and go again next season. Um... That that's it. Like, oh well. Also, if he's jealous of Man City having a two week break because they had COVID in the squad, like, just you know, there's a very simple solution for that. A very irresponsible solution <laughs> that we here on the Villa podcast would never recommend. <laughs> yeah. But it seems to be what he is uh, envious of, anyway, if not thinking about. But yeah, there, there are ways to get a two week break. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> But that's all we have time for. We've got a week break now, Liam, and uh, I think we've got another late match, but at least we've got seven seven days off. We'll see you next Saturday for Brighton. Brighton away, and then Leicester at home. A couple of, uh, couple of big ones. Villa are back. How many times are we going to say that this season? <laughs> There's a question we can't answer. <laughs> see you Saturday. That wind is calling my name And I